Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. And I'm going to stress, and I'm, I'm, I want to, but I will not do because I think it's too much right now, today, especially because there are much more exciting things to talk about in today's update. I'm not going to spend excessive time on Satama. I've covered it ad nauseum as to the concerns I see from my perspective with not the project. That's the key. I don't have any concerns with the project, the code, the token. I think the code and token are sound. I think the world of Steve, I think the world of Elon Mansoor. It's just you've got, unfortunately, certain people don't understand how reputation management works. Fundamentally, that's what we're dealing with with Satama. They don't understand, not because they can't understand, but because they don't want to understand. And so what has now happened, and I'm seeing it now across social media with, with blue checkmark people, so that's even worse, is there are people who are hesitating buying in or they bought in and they're buying out, they're selling out because of the toxicity that I've, you know, and I've said for at least a month that Satama has one of the most toxic communities. If you were to ask Certain people who I won't name, they'll tell you that, no, it's not a toxic community. Satama is a toxic community. Satama is a horribly toxic community. The truth is that Satama has two halves of its community. You have the toxic side who essentially are a cult at this point, recognizable by them saying, quote, in Russ we trust, they are a cult at this point, and that is dangerous for any sort of serious investment project. It should be denounced. It should be removed. We should criticize that type of activity and behavior. We should never, ever celebrate any one man. I don't care what it is. I don't care what the project is. I don't care what the delivery is. We should not celebrate one man like that. I have the same concern with people who bow down to Elon Musk and want him to tweet about their dog token. It's got to stop. You've got to stop this hero worship. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the project. So until I see that stop, I will continue calling out the toxicity that is necessarily there with that group of people. Then you've got another segment of the population who are like myself, who like the project. They like the token. We like Steve. We like Elon Mansoor. We like Max. We like the other people of the team that are more conservative. They're calm. They want it to succeed. You can tell that they have the best interests at heart. They're well-spoken. They're willing to apologize when they get stuff wrong. They empathize with the people who are investing, and they understand that their success is governed by the investment pool. This segment, this half of the audience, nobody has a problem with. However, as is common in any similar situation, their voices are being squashed in favor of the cult voices. That should be denounced. But unfortunately, the person who is being hero-worshipped is not actively doing that. And I think that's going to harm the project minimum in the short term. As of right now, Satama is still down. It has not gone back up that bottom resistance. It hasn't been able to breach back above it. I think it will, like I said before. I still think it's a long play, and I still think it's a good project. It's just it's being harmed by the bubble and not understanding that the harm that people are doing to themselves is now spreading across the project, and that's sad. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. You can do your own research until I see some tangible change, positive change, denouncing the cult of personalities that's out there, denouncing the hero worship, being more humble, acknowledging when screw-ups happening and say, you know, I messed up. When I see more of that, then I will go back to heavier coverage of it. But for right now, I'm not going to do that anymore. 
SHIB, on the other hand, has started going down. It's getting very close now, dangerously close to what was the original all-time high. There isn't really a clear reason or symptom as to why this is happening. It could simply be that people are reacting to their perception. There's been a theory running around social media that certain people in the SHIB community, particularly one person, sabotaged Satama and was the one who funded the ad that then ultimately caused Satama's major crash and that this may be some sort of get back. I don't buy into the theory. Is it possible? Sure. But I don't think, frankly, the ship community is just as toxic as Satama. Let's be real. But I honestly don't think that the anybody in the ship community singularly would have enough impact to be able to depress the price to that degree. So it also could be people just simply selling out to buy into another project, right? You have people who sell bags to buy another project. That's a normal thing. And again, with SHIB, the coin market cap issue tanked the token to such a degree that it has never recovered until more burns happen. That's going to commonly be the case. SHIB can't really get listed very much more places other than, say, Robinhood as far as the exposure side. I mean, it's already on Binance. It's already on Gate.io. It's already everywhere else, right? So... And Robinhood is, you know, putting fingers where they don't shine. So nobody knows about additional exchanges. I don't expect that's going to have any appreciable impact at this point on ship's price. To me, the only thing that can affect ship's price is going to be scarcity by way of burns. Because until you get to the point where the circulating supply is way down, I think it's over 500 trillion still. Until you get that down to a significant degree, I don't see any appreciable price moves for SHIB until the new year. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. But from what I see, I just simply don't believe. I don't buy it. Time will tell on that one. And then we got an underdog token, and it's not released yet, so you're not going to be able to find very much information about it except on BSC Scan. However, I'm spotlighting it for two reasons. One, because it is expected to be one of those next best, next great things that come out that seem to work hard to advertise and market. Here's We're here, we're going to do this, and this is going to be successful, and we're going to make this happen with good tokenomics, firm mechanics, reflections, and so on. And that's hub, uh, excuse me, huh, no B, huh, token, H-U-H. Now, again, because this is not live, we don't have strong performance information. All I can give you are the data points and the fundamentals, which is, and some of those are concerning. So if you were to look at BSC scan, or excuse me, EtherScan for this, you're going to see that this guy has 100 trillion tokens, I believe it is, yes, uh, hundred or is it 100 trillion or one quadrillion? It's one quadrillion tokens. Um, the reason that I got confused is exactly the problem I was about to call out, which is that when you go to their etherscan page you see one quadrillion tokens when you go to their supply page total supply for the pre-sale it calls out just under basically one trillion tokens and so that's a significant gap you say well maybe that's just the tokens for pre-sale there's a different indicator for tokens for pre-sale that is just under nine billion tokens so I'm not sure there's just gaps that can't be explained in total supply on EtherScan versus what's on their sites. That's number one that stands out to me as why is there this gap? What the heck is going on? The second concern 
is that the, if you look at their page, it is described as a finance coin, which means it's on pancake swap. They, it looks like what they're doing is they're going to release it on both Binance and Etherscan at this, you know, ETA, TRC20 at the same time is what it looks like they're going to do. It's not saying that's impossible, but that's a very ambitious rollout because of the inventory, the supply management. So it's possible that the supply might be different on one side versus another, and that's why there's this gap, but the website doesn't tell you this. It doesn't tell you anything about how they're going to handle the supply on each side. And the reason it's important is from the pre-sale, it doesn't tell you which side you're pre-selling on. So you don't have any choice when you go into the form. It's just a regular now payments form. If you understand now payments, it's just a payment provider that allows you to receive crypto payments or buy with, with fiat. But it doesn't let you choose whether you're going to go on Binance or you're going to Ether. And so that's concerning because you would assume that if you're launching both at the same time, and that's what the roadmap specifically says, that you would be able to choose which side you're going to go with on the pre-sale. Most likely what's going to happen is that the finance side is not going to be fully live come day one. They're going to be fully live on the Ethereum side. And so you'll be able to see an Ether scan and those will be the tokens that you get. The problem is, and then you're paying inordinate gas fees to do the bridge because they're working on a bridge between the two, but you're likely going to have to pay gas to go over the bridge. So, because there's not a lot of information about what they're doing with how they're going to spin up both sides. There's no way you can tell, you know, what is your end goal? But I call it out because it's one of those that seems like they are actively trying to make it work from the gate, from the jump correctly on all angles, as opposed to just one. Another issue I'll call out is that their website appears to be rather buggy. It's, decently well designed but it's buggy as all get out sometimes you get like an access denied error the remaining days counter sometimes it's wrong there's things like placeholders still there that talk about influencer name and so okay we understand you're going to have influencers but the placeholders i just i just think it looks ghetto so i don't i don't agree with why they're doing it uh and then you know, just overall, there's not enough for people to consume. Now, the development team is very responsive. They'll answer questions. Unfortunately, they are Telegram people, as many of them are. I hate that, but they are, and they'll answer questions. They'll get on a voice, and they'll talk you through what they're trying to do, and so they're trying to allay concerns of another scam. And so it's one to watch, and so because it's pre-sale, and because I'm still waiting on some BNB to deposit, I have not bought into this one yet. It is something I'm going to put a small stake in and just kind of watch it because based on the inventory, if the true inventory is in the trillions, trillions of tokens and not the quadrillion, it has an opportunity to be a successful contender even in the short term. But if it turns out that the inventory is on the higher end, it'll be the same thing as SHIB and it's going to have a long haul before it gets any real success unless they have a really aggressive marketing strategy. Unfortunately, because they have nothing on the site that tells you about that, there's no way to know. The final point is that their white paper is not done. And to me, in my opinion, the white paper should be one of the first things you write up and get done because it helps you process your thought around why you're doing the token, what you want it to do, who's going to be behind it, and allay the concerns which incites people to buy into your project. In the first place, if you don't dedicate time to it, you're going to end up missing the train. And so I don't agree 
in not having the white paper there day one. I can't call it necessarily a red flag because they are transparent in saying that they are in ex- that they're you know experienced, but they're new to it and it's still early, and so they're still trying to build that. I just think it's cart before the horse, and they got a little bit too excited because they wanted to just get a project out the door instead of having the white paper done, written, and the planning, you know, pre-planning happening. It's actually very similar in a way to SHIB. SHIB did not have strong fundamental information come day one that got built over time. And then what happened with SHIBA swap? It spikes and then goes down and then sits there for months. Something similar could happen here, especially when you have a similar inventory, and I wouldn't want to see that happen. But I am going to say at least keep your eye on huh token for no other reason than it may turn out to be something that's rock solid. It may turn out to be something that generates profit. It may turn out to be something that is a long-term you know, benefit. Or it could be a failure, which is why you only invest what you can afford to lose. So you, know, you lose nothing if you're in early and you toss 10 bucks at the thing. You've lost 10 bucks at the most if it tanks, right? But at least if it succeeds, you might end up turning that $10 into $10,000 at some point when, it, when and if it goes up. That's the game that you want to play with some of these. I'm sharing it here because at least from what I can see, I'm not seeing any concerns at this point. Doesn't mean that there won't potentially be the risk of, you know, I don't see rug pull risk, but I do see potential liquidity concerns. Uh, at some point, I also see marketing possibly concerns. The lack of a white paper will potentially turn off investors. I see that. What appears to be an overreaching focus on influencers, I never am a fan of that. I think you should not rely on that and that hero worship mentality, but I understand why they do it because they're just basically walking billboards at that point. I get it. I don't like it. So those are concerns for volatility. They speak to the risk that the thing might tank unexpectedly one day or struggle to grow, or if it does grow, that you could have, you know, like developer issues and that kind of stuff. So we'll see how it goes, and I will I will watch it, and I will invest a small amount in it, just because, again, it's important I have skin in the game for going forward some of these projects so I can experience it firsthand. And again, if you choose to buy in, do not invest more than you can afford to lose, because you just don't know with projects like these where they're going to go. I would say it's probably a little bit better than some sketchy EMU token that came out of nowhere promising, you know, 10x returns or 100x returns in two weeks or something. So, huh, tokens out there. It's at huh.social if you want to take a look at it uh, and make your own decisions, do your own research on that one. And then let's cover one of our exchanges to wrap this up today. And today's exchange, I'm going to leave what used to be the champion for last, and I'm going to next cover Hotbit. I've had Hotbit for a while. I've used Hotbit on a regular occasion. I'm actually very, I have no major concerns with Hotbit per se. They're just small things that I can call out with them. Uh, Their KYC was reasonably easy. I didn't have major issues with it. And withdrawals and deposits are very simple. They use multiple account buckets. So you have a regular spot account, which is regular trading, or excuse me, regular um, assets, in your spot accounts, you have accounts for ETFs, you have accounts for long-term investings. Uh, they also support DApp trades. So if you want to do kind of like your Uniswap trades, et cetera, you can do it directly in the Hotbit interface. I don't know why you would do it, but you can. Um, one use case, I guess, could be that you have certain assets in there and let's say you get 
USD Tether, but you want to buy into some token that's not supported in Hotbit, but the money's there, you could take your asset that's in Hotbit and then buy whatever asset through, let's say it's PancakeSwap, so that you have it in your other wallet. I, I, again, I guess there's a use case there, but it's not something I do. I would rather just transfer the source currency off to my wallet and then just do it inside the wallet because if Hotbit can't support it, I just don't see a reason to give them that business because you're not getting much. You're not getting like a discount on gas fees or anything. That's my opinion. Uh, the I want to talk a couple of points. So the Hotbit, the there's two main issues I personally have with Hotbit. They may not bother you, but I call them out because I do think they're important that you know. Number one is, and this may be specific to the fact that I'm in the United States, I can't tell, but Hotbit will not allow you to withdraw the BNB token. I'm not, it'll allow you to buy it, it'll allow you to transact with it, trade it, but you cannot withdraw it. You can deposit it all day long, but you can't withdraw it, which makes no sense to me. Because if you're allowed to deposit a thing, I struggle to understand why you can't withdraw a thing. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. The wallets that Hotbit give you are prone to change. So you, it's not like you can point your mining machine at like a Hotbit and then expect it to always go. So I experienced this recently with, uh, I believe it was Tron, and I was trying to deposit from the mining machine, but then I saw that, hey, the address has changed, so I needed to update it. And the problem is the software that I use ties the destination strictly to the wallet address, which means when it changes, you lose certain of the mining assets. I didn't lose a lot, but it was something I wasn't aware of going in that they actively change the address. That seems to mean that it's a custodial ownership, which means that you don't really own the tokens that they hold in there. And that's true of many of the exchanges that because the address changes, it's being stored in a different custody wallet that you don't have access to. Then they make it available to you via this so-called interstitial wallet address that is temporary just to receive funds and then it routes into the back end. The back end is what you can't touch, which means you don't own it, which means they could block you out of it at any time. I don't see anything in the terms for Hotbit that confirms this, but the behavior of the wallet address changing, that's the only reason that you would do that, is that you don't have rights to it. Coinbase does the same thing. Their addresses tend to change for certain tokens, not others. I don't know why there's a difference in wallets, but because I saw that, it that was a slight negative turn off, and then I, the fact that you cannot withdraw BNB is kind of a problem. The only other issue I really had with them is that when you, for some of these small cap ones, you know, your uh, key shoes of the world and, and even Shib, Satama, and some of these ones that have more zeros than you might think, the pair is tied to what they call nano USD, which is a different type of token that seems to be specific to them because I've never seen it anywhere else. So like the uh, Australian Safe Shepherd, a.k.a. ASS, which is one of the tokens that's out there. It's one of the microcaps. Uh, Yushi is one of the microcaps. Akita is a microcap. Um, and so some of these will force you to go to the Nano USD because there's not enough in the precision of the decimal points to justify USD Tether, even though USD Tether supports a pretty good amount of zeros. And they could round at the worst case. And I think what they're trying to do is just ensure the true precision for the ones that are like 18 decimal points out. I get it. I perfectly understand it. I don't really agree with it. And I wish they wouldn't do it because I think what it does is it makes it harder to navigate. Because like take Satama is a good example. 
with Satama doing the nano USD. So in nano USD, if you understand the way that the calculations work when you're in the tool, you basically have to build up a certain amount of nano USD in order to equal a dollar. Then you can convert that amount of nano USD over to USD tether. However, the USD tether cannot be used to buy, say, Satama because Satama's pair is tied to the nano USD. That means that you'd have to turn your USD tether into nano USB in order to buy certain ones uh, or USDT in order to buy some of the uh, so-called small cap coins. This gets really annoying real fast because you don't know going in what the pair is. You just go in and say, okay, I want to buy Satama. And because maybe you came from, you know, gate.io or something else, you're saying, okay, well, because I'm, I'm over here and I got experience doing it, then I should just be able to toss my USD tether in there and go off and buy. No, you can't. You have to convert to nano USD. Once you convert to nano USD, then you can do the conversion after that. But it's, it's a pain. It's an explicit pain. And then when you're trading, so let's say you're buying, selling, and I think with ones like Dogezilla, which has an obscene number of zeros to it, it makes sense because of how many zeros is in play. But when you're trading, that means you're always left with this straggler amount of nano USD that you can't do anything with because from what I can tell, Hotbit does not support the dust function, which allows you to roll it into another token like KuCoin does or Gate.io. So you're always stuck with this amount of nano USD and it's not really worth anything. It's less than a penny. But the point is you don't want to see that lingering amounts of currency out there that you can't really do anything with and you're just kind of stuck and trapped and there's nothing you can do. So I'm not a fan of the nano USD approach. I understand why they do it, but I would rather them just simply support the USD tether standard and just roll, you know, round up. That's easier for any trader coming from another platform versus the nano USD strategy. As such, I only ever use Hotbit if I'm doing a conversion straight in out. Like, for example, I sent some of my Satama over to Hotbit so that I could watch its you know, price up and down cleaner on a better graph. Um, it wasn't so that I could sell it. It was just so I could have it in exchange and kind of clean watch the orders, limit orders that were happening from a that type of perspective, which I can't do for my wallet, obviously. So it's been sitting there, but then when I go to cash out, it's going to be nano USD. That's going to be a pain, and there's no USDT pair. And so it's frustrating due to the calculation to understand what's really my profit that I can realize when I go to sell out. I think it's a minor thing for many people, but it's something to just be aware of. Other than those things I called out, I didn't have any issues with Hotbit, but because of those things, I can't really count them along my top ones. Um, the selection of tokens is not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great. They have more of the, say, popular ones, you know, Akita, Safe Moon, Shib, Satama, Yushi, but they don't have a lot of the, you know, kind of the up-and-comers, kind of the lesser-known ones um, that you might think. Now, I say this in how the interface is built. Sometimes they'll list one, but then won't let you trade it right away. Or sometimes they'll list one in a different category and you got to kind of go find it. Ones that don't have significant profit to them are fit in that category. So uh, a good example of this one is Dinu, uh, Dogi Inu um, that's out there. And this one has, you know, significant volume to it. It hasn't really, it just launched recently. And so because it just launched, it's not part of their common 
hey, the world can see these type tokens and you have to go hunt for it and then eventually you can do it and then sometimes they'll let you trade it and sometimes they won't. Sometimes USD Tether is supported, sometimes it's not. So there's an inconsistency in the interface that drives me nuts. But again, from an inventory and usability perspective, I wasn't really impressed with it compared to KuCoin or LBank or Gate.io. For your regular everyday trader, it's probably not a big a deal. And I would certainly recommend them to look into if you're not able to use the other options or there's something that bothers you about the other options. But let's say you're just trying to buy into Rich Quack. <laughs> you know, you're looking at Rich Quack and you just want to buy some of that. I would send you straight over to um, Gate.io and just do it there because Gate.io is going to give you an easier time of it and you don't have to deal with the nano USD nonsense that's inherent with those. So that's Hotbit. It is recommended. I just can't recommend it above Gate.io and I certainly can't recommend it above LBank uh, or KuCoin. Just from my perspective, I cannot recommend it above those. Those seem like they're more upper echelon. I think even BKEX has kind of advantages significant advantages over what I see of it. However, the nice thing about Hotbit, again, is it's easy to get into. KYC is not that much of a pain. And once you're in it, once you've done all the nonsense, then it's reasonably easy to work with the interface and reasonably easy to do trades. And it's generally friendly. It's not mobile first. It has clean web uh, and supports it and just has other minor annoyances otherwise. So that's my overview for today. Uh, again, I want to just stress I'm not going to heavily focus or invest time into Zatama until I see dramatic changes. I will briefly mention it if there's something worth mentioning and kind of move on. Uh, SHIB is out there and it's tanking and nobody really knows why, but I suspect it's just a aftermath symptom of potentially um, what's going on with the coin market cap and just inventory and just it, it needs to burn more inventory to get more traction as people are tending to sell and buy into other projects that are up and comers, which is why we cover those underdogs, yeah? And then, of course, uh, huh, token, take a look at it and make your own decision. If it makes sense for you, then maybe you toss a little money at it, maybe you don't, but I think it's worth looking at. I'm not advocating for it, but I think it's worth looking at and keeping an eye on it. Go from there, and then as far as Hotbit, I see nothing specifically that's a deal breaker about them, but I can't recommend them over other exchanges. However, they're viable as... If you're just keeping multiple exchanges on deck for different options, it's just that I don't see anything they offer that many of the other top tier ones don't. So 